Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would use your word to uh, mold us and shape us into the image of your son, uh, Jesus Christ. We know your spirit is at work within us uh, to so form us and conform us to the design that you had originally intended for us. And we thank you for your continued patience and mercy in that regard. Uh, And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, this story that's just been read to you, and I asked I asked Jeff and Jackie if they would read that uh, sort of at the last minute. So I have a feeling they were reading this cold since I just asked them a few minutes, you know, an hour ago. And uh, But I appreciate them reading that for you. It's a long story. It's a story that has, uh, every time I read through and I come to that story in First Kings, it always catches my attention because it's, uh, well, it's, there's a lot happening in it, and it's so... It feels different than the rest of the book of First Kings. You know, this king did that, this king did that. Then there's this focus here on this story about two anonymous prophets, a man of God and a, and a prophet, um, and uh, what happens. And, you know, the other one deceives the other one, you know, so that's interesting. And this one had a great victory before King Jeroboam and then falls a little bit later and doesn't obey the Lord. And then there's a lion and a, and a, and a donkey standing on either side of the corpse in the middle of the road. And what's that all about? Very, uh, I don't know, it just gets me, it, it always catches my attention. So we've been going through curious Old Testament stories, and we have talked about, um, we've looked at Abraham the warrior, we've looked at Abigail the wise, and now we're looking at this anonymous man of God. I wanted to call him Arthur to keep up with the A theme, you know, Arthur, the guy who was weak in the end, who was killed by a lion or something like that, but it doesn't work. Anyway, we're talking about the success and failure of an anonymous um, uh, an anonymous man of God. One of the one of the central features of this chapter, if not the central feature, is the word of the Lord. It's the it's the word of God. It's specifically mentioned nine times in this chapter. Uh, sometimes called a revelation from the Lord. Sometimes called uh, the word of the Lord. And there are also other references to the speaking of the Lord. The Lord said, "Thus says the Lord." The Lord commanded, and so forth all throughout this chapter. So what I want to do, the story's been read to you. I want to unpack this story, and then we'll identify what it's teaching about the word of the Lord. So let's, uh, let's, start, with some, let's start with just a little bit of context here. What happens before 1 Kings chapter 13? Uh, just a few years prior to this, we have King Solomon, who is reigning over the United Kingdom, uh, the whole kingdom, not not the UK, but uh, the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah. Um, And he has had a very successful reign, except that he's fallen into sin. He's fallen into idolatry. And so the Lord has sent a prophet to him specifying that what's going to happen is he's going to tear the kingdom away from Solomon and his descendants. In other words, he's going to tear part of it away and he's going to give it to another king. And so this is the division of the kingdom. His son Rehoboam comes to the throne and then the, the there's stuff that happens right at the beginning that the, that the whole kingdom becomes two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. He reigns over the one kingdom. But God has given the other kingdom to Jeroboam, whom we encounter in our chapter today. That's the king who we're encountering. And he's given the, the kingdom to Jeroboam, and the intention is that Jeroboam will continue to lead the people in the worship of the one true God who just gave him the kingdom. 
But Rehoboam remakes the, 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 uh, the Hebrew religion. God had made it. It was his to make, but Jeroboam customizes it, and he makes it different. And he, he comes up with a new way to worship God. He forms two golden calves. Uh, he, he creates new places to worship, not Jerusalem, but rather Dan and Bethel. And there are new altars in Dan and Bethel. And there are new priests. Formerly, it had always been the Levites who were the priests. And Jeroboam opens it up to anybody. Whoever wants to be a priest uh, can be a priest. And then there's a new religious calendar. Um, uh, Jeroboam remakes the religious calendar. So when God first told Jeroboam he would make him king over the northern ten tribes, look, look at what God had promised Jeroboam. God says to Jeroboam, after that, if you obey all I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight in order to keep my statutes and my commands, as my servant David did, I will be with you. I will build you a lasting dynasty just as I built for David, and I will give you Israel. God had promised much help and support to Jeroboam if he would keep his word. But Jeroboam is radically departing from God's commands. And so then we come to the story that we have here in chapter 13. This chapter is made up of two primary sections and then a conclusion. So the first section is about the man of God and Jeroboam. Jeroboam is worshiping God in an unsanctioned, at an unsanctioned altar in an unsanctioned city. This is Bethel he's worshiping in, not in Jerusalem. A man of God shows up and yells out a prophecy against the new altar that in the future a descendant of David, whose name is Josiah, is going to uh, dig up the bones of these new priests and he's going to, sat, he's going to burn the bones on the altar, which would be a, a means of desecrating that particular altar. Uh, and the sign that the prophecy will happen, the sign is that in just a moment that altar is going to be ripped apart and the ashes of the, of the altar are going to be poured out upon the ground. Well, the king is not happy. <laughs> Jeroboam is not happy. He points to the man of God for his arrest. But instantly, while his arm is still stretched out, God paralyzes or freezes his arm so that he can't do anything with it. Well, fear replaces Fury and Jeroboam pleased with the man of God to pray for his healing. And the man of God does pray for his healing, which says something about the man of God. And God heals him, which says something about God as well. So now cunning replaces Jeroboam's fear. And Jeroboam invites the man of God home for dinner and to put him on his payroll. Can't beat him. You know, maybe you can, uh, maybe you can uh, massage and manipulate the word of God. But the man of God refuses. The man of God came because of the word of the Lord, but he is also leaving because of the word of the Lord. Because the Lord had commanded him, when you're done, don't eat there, don't drink there, go home, but go home a different route. Three instructions. And that's what he does. He leaves. And so then, that's the first section. The next section then is the man of God and the old prophet. And I suspect we're calling him a man of God and an old prophet to distinguish between the two because they're both really prophets, okay? They're both prophets. Well, there's an old prophet living in Bethel, and his sons rush home and tell him everything that happened at the, at the new altar. And the old prophet decides he wants to see this man of God. So he gets on his donkey, and he pursues him, and he, invite, he, uh, he finds him, and then he issues him an invitation. So that, now this is the second invitation that the man of God has received for lunch. 
Um, and he refuses that invitation too, and he gives the exact same reasons. I can't, eat, I can't eat any bread here, I can't drink any water here, and I have to go home. I have to go home by a different route. Why? Because that's what God told me to do. Ah, but the old prophet has a new revelation from the Lord. He's got new instruction from the Lord, actually from an angel. An angel of the Lord came to him and told him that now the man of God is not to do all that. Instead, he's to stay there in Bethel, and he's to come home with the prophet, and he's to eat bread and drink water with the prophet. So the man of God accepts the invitation. But verse 18 tells us very starkly, in two words in Hebrew, he lied. (laughs) He deceived him. Uh, Why? We're not told. (laughs) We're not told why. While they're eating, the old prophet who lied about his word from the Lord now gets an actual word from the Lord. And it's not enjoy the bread. Rather, it's your toast. <laughs> uh, the language, and the language is very strong. The language is very strong. The man of God has rebelled against God's command. He did not keep God's command. Because you didn't go home in the way I commanded you, You won't make it home at all, the Lord says. The bread and water turn out to be his last meal. Riding home, he's attacked by a lion, and then the lion and the donkey and the dead prophet are are there in the middle of the road. Lion, dead prophet, donkey. And the lion and the donkey are just, they're not acting like a lion and a donkey. (laughs) They're just standing there. I guess a donkey acts that way. But if a lion's there, I don't think a donkey acts that way. But I don't know. I'm not really a donkey farmer. So, uh, do they act like goats, Sheila? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, but the, the, the fact that the lion and the donkey are not acting like they should is a sign that this is not a coincidence that the, the man of God just happened to get attacked by a lion but rather that this is from the Lord. The old prophet hears about it. He recovers the body. He puts it in his own grave. He tells his sons to put his bones in that grave when he dies because he knows that the prophecy of the man of God will live on, even if the prophet himself does not. Well, then the the chapter concludes. There's a conclusion uh, about Jeroboam. King Jeroboam continues on with his new customized worship in his new, new homemade religion. Anyone can be a priest who wants to. You know, it's not restricted to just the Levites. After all, we're, we're all equal, right? So whatever you can do, I can do also if I want to, right? The narrator sort of expresses shock that Jeroboam continues to go down this path. Verse 33, after all this, he says, Jeroboam did not repent of his evil way. And verse 34 details the eventual outcome Jeroboam and his house were erased from the earth. And uh, the chapters after 1 Kings 13 sort of depict that. Okay, so the central feature of this chapter is the word of the Lord. It's because of the word of the Lord that the man of God came to Bethel in the first place to denounce the altar. It's because of the word of the Lord. uh, It's the word of the Lord that predicted the false altar being ripped apart. It was the word of the Lord that directed the man of God then to leave Bethel and go home a different route. And it was because the man of God didn't keep the word of the Lord that he's then killed uh, by a lion. So I want to identify some of what this chapter is teaching us about the word of the Lord. 
And I want to make uh, just I want to start by making clear an intentional step that I'm making here, an intentional shift. Talking about the word of the Lord in the Old Testament, a lot of that came through the prophets. The, the Lord communicated directly to prophets, and the prophets then brought the word to the people. In our own setting, this is the word of the Lord. It's the scriptures. It's the word of God. Um, the words of the prophets have now been recorded to us. So I'm making a shift. The story tells us about the word of the Lord, but I'm making a shift to applying it to the word of God as we have it in scripture. Just wanted to make that clear. So what lessons do we learn about the word of God? The first one is this, not that. It's this. The word of God is sure. The word of God is sure. It's unstoppable. It can't be foiled or destroyed. Jeroboam tries to stop it. He tries to nullify it, but he can't. He tries to, it's, he's like killing the mess. He, he's shooting the messenger is what he's doing. He's trying to shoot the messenger. That's not going to stop the message. He tries to arrest the word of the Lord by arresting the prophet, but he finds himself arrested. He can't even move. He tries to paralyze the action of the word of the Lord and finds himself paralyzed. Then he tries a different tact. He tries to manipulate the word of the Lord. He invites the man of God to dinner and to a reward, maybe to a staff position. But that also fails. Even if the man of God had gone home with him and gotten on his payroll, that still wouldn't have changed the word of the Lord. The word of God is sure. It can't be nullified or abrogated. It can't be muffled. It can't be stopped. It can't be modified. It can't be manipulated or mitigated. There have been attempts throughout history to silence the word. There have been attempts to destroy the Bible. We've got a few written down. In 303, the Roman emperor Diocletian ordered the confiscation of all Christian property and the destruction of all scriptures. Within 10 years, Diocletian was dead and Constantine was on the throne. Constantine becomes a Christian and he orders the mass publication of the scriptures. Bloody Mary was the queen of England. and During her reign, she ordered anyone having a Bible to be burned uh, and I wrote that down right. It was not just the Bible, but the person owning the Bible to be burned. Five years later, she was dead. Queen Elizabeth is on the throne, and during Queen Elizabeth I. Queen Elizabeth I, during her reign, she ordered no less than 130 editions of the Bible to be published. You can't stop the word of the Lord. I read, I read about a woman in another country. I don't remember what country, but she was... She was arrested and, uh, and accused of being a Christian. Well, it was a false accusation. She, she wasn't a Christian. Furthermore, she, had, she didn't know what a Christian was. She'd never heard the term. But because they accused her of that, she wanted to find out what it was. She found out what it was, and she became a Christian. <laughs> you can't stop the word of the Lord. God uses even anti-Christian propaganda <laughs> in order to bring people to Christ. The word of the Lord is sure. It will come to pass. The word of the Lord will come to pass. What the Lord said about the altar being ripped apart happened. It happened right then. And he had also made the prophecy, the man of God had made this prophecy that sometime in the future, a descendant of David, oh, let's, uh, we'll specify his name, his name's Josiah, a descendant of David named Josiah, 
is going to dig up the bones of these false priests in Jeroboam's days, and he's going to put them on the altar, and he's going to, he's going to burn them on the altar to desecrate this false altar in Bethel. Well, that, that happened over in 2 Kings 23, talking about King Josiah. He even tore down the altar at Bethel and the high place that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who, who caused Israel to sin, had made. Then he burned the high place, crushed it to dust, and burned the Asherah. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mountain. He sent someone to take the bones out of the tombs, and he burned them on the altar. So how long between that prophecy in 1 Kings 13 and the fulfillment of the prophecy in 2 Kings 23? Well, the prophecy about Josiah during the reign of King Jeroboam occurs about 930 B.C. King Josiah's action occurred in six, around 620 B.C., 300 years in advance. The word of the Lord had prophesied what would happen at that altar in Bethel. The word of the Lord is sure. The Bible is filled with examples of fulfilled prophecy all over the place. For example, there are many regarding Christ, and you, many of you know these prophecies. The Bible prophesied that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be in the line of David, that he would be betrayed, that his clothes would be divided, that he would be numbered with the transgressors, that he would be buried with the rich, that his hands and feet would be pierced, but that his bones would not be broken. The Bible, the scriptures prophesied all this in the Old Testament, which was written and completed uh, with a 400-year gap between uh, the end of the Old Testament and then the coming of Christ. And that's not even an exhaustive list of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled with his first coming. The word of God is sure. It will come to pass. And that makes the scriptures extremely relevant. It makes them extremely relevant. Let me just give you some examples. The word of God tells us that Christ is coming back. If it was right about his first coming, it's going to be right about his second coming. The word of God says that every one of us will face final judgment at the end of the age. The word of the Lord is sure. The word of God prophesies eternal life in heaven for those who are trusting in Christ. But it prophesies eternal misery in hell for those who reject Christ. Again, the word of God is sure it will come to pass. And you can take individual promises, you can take individual scriptures um, and know that they will happen. For instance, John 6:37. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. The one who comes to the Lord I will never cast out. Can we believe that? Can we bank on that? Yes. The word of the Lord is sure. You can bank on both the promises and the warnings of Scripture. The second lesson is this. The word of God is mercy. The word of God is mercy. Why does God send the man of God to the false altar, to King Jeroboam in the first place? To get Jeroboam to repent. To get Jeroboam to change his ways. The goal is the blessing of Jeroboam. The goal is Jeroboam turning back to the Lord that he might bless him. Remember that verse I read earlier about what God had originally promised to Jeroboam if he walked in his statutes and commands, that he would bless him, that he would help him, that he would establish his kingdom. 
And even now, the goal is that Jeroboam would turn back to the Lord. This is mercy. It's a harsh mercy. It's a severe mercy, but it's still mercy. When your toddler reaches for the hot stove, it is mercy in you that uses a very harsh, loud voice to get him to stop. That's mercy on your part. The torn altar, the paralyzed arm, the the prophet that is departing, that's all mercy. All of these scream, take the word of the Lord seriously, Jeroboam. You are heading toward disaster. When God heals Jeroboam's arm, it's a token of the kind of blessing that God wants to give to Jeroboam if he would but walk in the ways of the Lord. God's word is a mercy, but it's sometimes a severe mercy. It doesn't hesitate to confront your sins. It doesn't hesitate to confront your pet, your pet sins, the things that tempt you. It's a mirror that reveals the blemishes in our character, and that is all mercy. Everything God tells us in his word is for our good. You know, you parents and you grandparents, you lovingly correct and discipline your children um, for their good. According to Proverbs, it's the parent who hates his children who doesn't correct them at all. All of the word is for your good, and none of it is for your harm. The third lesson is this. The word of God is safety. The word of God is safety. The man of God was fine until he strayed from the plant. There were no lions in his future as long as he did what he was supposed to do. He had the clear word of the Lord. Don't eat bread there. Don't drink water there. Don't go back the way you came. That's it. That's all. That was his safety. That was his security. But he strayed from the plan. He ate there in Bethel, and he was eaten there in Bethel. Um, A lion got him. Please note that everyone is subject to the word of the Lord. Everyone is subject to the word of God, even prophets and preachers. The man who brings the word to Jeroboam is also subject to the word himself. The Lord has given him two words, one for Jeroboam, but one also for himself. You tell Jeroboam this, and then you yourself, this is what you're to do. This chapter illustrates some of the ways that people are tempted to stray from the word of the Lord. People who claim messages from angels, that is not safety. Following them is not safety. People who claim messages from angels is not safety. The old prophet told the man of God that an angel told him that it was now okay for the man of God to eat there in Bethel. Um, I wasn't true. There are people today who claim angels told them stuff. There are a lot of people today who claim that angels told them stuff. There are pastors today who claim that angels told them stuff, and they try to get their... and they. They have churches, and their people follow them and believe them. I was, watching, I was watching this Ohio pastor just recently talking about a vision he had. It's, it's mumbo-jumbo gobbledygook. A vision he had of, of angels where he had, he had a vision of him standing before the White House. And he's praying, and an angel approaches him with a tree trunk, a large tree trunk. And he says, why do you have a tree trunk? And he says, it's not. It's a battering ram. Why do you have a battering ram? Because there are, four, there are three other angels around me surrounding the, the White House. And uh, we're going to take down the evil that is at the root of uh, Baalism or whatever in, in the White House. 
Okay, so why are you telling me? He says, we're waiting your orders, sir. I just ridiculous, uh, ridiculous nonsense. I've heard this guy talk before about he, how he and his brother had a conversation with the angel of the Lord uh, and how the Holy Spirit gave him instructions. And not like the Holy Spirit guiding inside, but you know, how he was transported into heaven and was talking with the Holy Spirit. Just, and, but people buy into this stuff. I'm not disregarding angels. The Bible is clear that there are angels all around. And sometimes we deal with angels and that unawares. But angels do not teach us extra biblical stuff. They're not our teachers. At least good angels don't, let me put it that way. The Apostle Paul writes, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. People who claim the Lord spoke to them is not safety. People who can't claim that the Lord has spoken to them, I mean spoken to them apart from here, is not safety. Um, Benny Hen is a prosperity gospel preacher and uh, I don't like to mention names but sometimes it's helpful to mention names because he has such a wide influence um, and he is a false teacher I mean he's demonstrated that um, and he's talking these days about what the Lord has specifically shown him recently um, he talks about how 2024, I'm quoting him now, is the year of the greatest beginning of the greatest move of God in the history of the world. And in that move, we're going to see three things, he says. All your loved ones are going to be saved in the year 2024. All of them, he says. That'd be great. He says miracles, we're going to see, we're going to see worldwide miracles are going to happen like you wouldn't believe, even in your own kitchen in your living room. And he says... The third thing is we're going to see prosperity unseen, unheard of before for all believers. Uh, but then he qualifies that. Uh, it's prosperity for those who are not delaying in following the Lord. And how do you think he wants you to follow the Lord? You've got to sow your seed. And how do you sow your seed? You've got to give to his ministry. <laughs> if you give to his ministry, these are the miracles that are going to happen for you in 2024. The Lord told him all this. Where? Where did the Lord tell him all this? Whoops. I was listening to another preacher talk about the fact how he went to heaven. Uh, He went to heaven and um, the Lord was explaining to him some of the plans that he had for something. I don't remember what. Specific plans. And, uh, And then he said to Jesse, what do you think? And Jesse said, well, it's pretty good, but I'd modify it this way or whatever. And the Lord says, okay, we'll do it your way. (laughs) The Lord spoke to him. That's not safety. In these guys' cases, they are leading people away from the security of the word into doctrines and ambitions that are contrary to the word, such as the desire for wealth. Stay in the word Don't listen to those who say an angel told me this or the Lord said to me unless they're talking about the scriptures. Some are tempted to stray after they've won a great victory. Some are tempted to stray after they've won a great victory. The obvious testing, the obvious test, the big test is followed by a smaller test, a subtle test. Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and then the devil left him until what? Until a more opportune time, the scripture tells us. 
That happens to us too. And sometimes the more opportune time is just an hour later after we've won a great spiritual battle, we've resisted temptation, and then the devil comes an hour later, or temptation comes an hour later for something much more subtle. We've resisted the urge to yell and punch our coworkers all day long. <laughs> and then we get home and our, and our kid looks at us the wrong way and we fly off the handle. <laughs> the man of God won the great contest against the king and then he let his guard down when an old prophet claimed to have a contradictory word from an angel. And then some are tempted to stray because they think knowing the word is the same as doing it. If I know the word... There you go. God's pleased. I think that's part of what's going on with the old prophet. He's accustomed to the things of God, to handling the word. He knows a lot about the Lord and about God's law, but he seems to have lost respect for it. He had, For instance, he has no problem lying here. And he seems surprised that the man of God would die as a result of disobeying God. Like, really, the word of God is that powerful? I wonder if he's come to the point where for him knowledge is the important thing, not actually living it out. A.W. Tozer said the great tragedy of our American Christianity is thinking, is thinking that because we know something, we have it. Let's never get to that point. I, I, w- I, read, this, I read this the other day, and I jotted it down on a note card for myself, and I got it stuck in a book at home that I look at every night. Um, for my own personal caution, because it was quite sobering. Uh, the, the quote goes like this, It is a common failing of ministers of the word that though they believe it, they do not take it seriously. And then he said a few paragraphs later, he said, You should be, you should be terrified if you have the truth, and yet that truth does not grip, control, and transform you. So let's not fall into the trap where we don't take the word of God seriously. And we can go to Bible studies. We can spend time reading it every day. We can listen to it on the radio, listen to preachers and uh, Christian programs on the radio. Um, We can be involved in all that stuff. But the goal is not simply the knowledge. The goal is the knowledge of Christ behind the word and that he would come, that we would be transformed by it. The word of God is safety. That is, taking it seriously is safety. The Lord will never contradict his word. The man of God should have known that. For an angel to come and say, hey, we've completely changed the plans, that should have raised at least red flags <laughs> in his mind, and it doesn't seem to at all. And 1 John 4.1 tells us that we are to test the spirits. In other words, test the biblical teaching you get that you hear, even from this pulpit. You test it according to the word of God. From your Sunday school teacher, test it according to the word of God. On the radio, on on TV, on YouTube, on Instagram, wherever you get Bible teaching, test it against the Bible. And if it's off, if it doesn't drive, drive with scripture, don't accept it. The Bible is your safety. The word of God is sure. The word of God is mercy. The word of God is safety. Those are three good reasons for the word of God to be central in your life. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, It is from you. It is spoken from you to us. We thank you for it. And my my prayer is that um, your spirit would continue to lead us and guide us to study it, to understand it, to be transformed by it, and to not give in to temptation to stray from it. So please help us. And, and, and even as I pray that, Lord, I know we have all strayed from it. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. And Christ has come and redeemed us from our sins. So we thank you for that. Help us to guard against future temptation. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.